A popular sitting American president has a potentially serious illness that a prominent physician comments on the possibility, and the FBI then gets involved. Welcome to ReachMD Book Club. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell, and we're speaking with Dr. W. Bruce Fai, author of Caring for the Heart. Dr. Fai, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. So in the 1940s, how much was available for treatment cardiology-wise? How, how advanced was cardiology as a science in the, the mid-40s? Well, I think the 1940s were really sort of a hinge point in the history of therapeutics for heart disease. And the example that we'll be discussing today with Franklin Roosevelt really is a compelling example of just how few things were available to treat patients with cardiovascular disease in the 1940s. So how much did the American public know about Franklin Roosevelt, even with regard to his polio? Well, there was certainly a very carefully orchestrated campaign to keep his disability from his polio, not necessarily a secret, but to suppress images of it. Of course, it was well known to the public that he had polio and that he had some residual deficits in terms of his ability to ambulate, but there was really a campaign to suppress any photographs that might demonstrate this to the public. So really there was a, a tradition in the Roosevelt administration of attempting to sort of put a positive spin on his health, and this certainly was a major factor in the 1944 presidential election. In his first two terms, I would seem like there were lots of pictures to show him as this robust person kind of swimming in the pool at Warm Springs. Was, was that really the image that they tried to sell, that he might have been stronger or healthier than he was? Absolutely. I think there really was a concerted effort to present him as a very healthy individual, and in, in all honesty, he really was. He had the disability that affected his ability to walk, but obviously his upper body strength was substantial, and he did appear quite fit. So who was Dr. Barnes at the Mayo Clinic? Dr. Arlie Barnes was the second cardiologist at Mayo Clinic, and in 1944, where he enters the picture, sort of in terms of the presidential election, he was the head of cardiology at Mayo Clinic and was involved in national affairs. He was on the steep ascent toward becoming the president of the American Heart Association at this time. In 1944, he went to Washington, D.C. to participate in a conference relating to cardiovascular research. And while he was in Washington in September, a junior colleague of his who was assigned to the Bethesda Naval Hospital invited Dr. Barnes to come out to Bethesda and see the facility, which was only two years old at that stage. So while they were walking around the grounds, Barnes' junior colleague, whose name was Howard Odell, said, you know, there's talk around here that the president has serious heart disease. And Barnes didn't pursue this, apparently, at that point. But when he got back to Rochester, Minnesota, on October 21st, 1944, which was just two and a half weeks before the election, Barnes had lunch at the Kaler Hotel, which still is opposite the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, with a radiologist and a chief administrator at Mayo Clinic and three or four other doctors. And in the course of that conversation, it came up that, you know, there's talk at the Bethesda Hospital the president has serious heart disease. And the radiologist, who was not at Bethesda, but had been at a meeting of the American Board of Radiology in Chicago just about two weeks earlier, said, you know, that's a funny thing, because uh, when I was at the American Board of Radiology meeting, one of my friends there said that he noticed a picture in Life magazine when the president was giving his acceptance speech for the uh, Democratic presidential uh, nomination. He was sitting in a railroad car, and they noticed a man in profile who was a cardiologist. So they wondered, why is a cardiologist with the president? 
So this led to speculation that the president had heart disease, but it was really rapidly squashed by presidential press secretary Steve Early and the White House physician Ross McIntyre. So back to Barnes and the lunch at the Kaler Hotel in Rochester. So that conversation occurred at lunchtime, and then that evening, the radiologist and a couple of surgeons were playing poker. This was 17 days before the election. So they were playing poker on October 21st, the same day that Roosevelt was driven four and a half hours through a driving rainstorm through four boroughs of New York in an attempt to prove that he was physically fit, going back to your earlier point. So they're sitting there playing poker. Once again, this conversation sort of turned toward the president's health, and one of the individuals at the poker game had actually cared for a former assistant secretary of state. Breckenridge Long was that man's name. So the Mayo surgeon, and by the way, none of the Mayo, none of the physicians at Mayo Clinic cared for the president. He didn't receive any care at Mayo Clinic. So this surgeon, Dr. Claude Dixon, called Breckenridge Long and said, you know, there's conversation here about the president having serious heart disease. So that led Steve Early to contact J. Edgar Hoover, and a sort of SWAT investigation occurred, and 11 days before the election, two FBI agents came to Rochester, and two other FBI agents went to the Bethesda Naval Hospital. And at first, the doctor in Bethesda denied having said anything about this, but then they confronted him with what his senior colleague uh, Arlie Barnes had said, and then he said, well, okay, uh, but you know, there are stories about him having heart disease going around here. Well, to make a long story short, J. Edgar Hoover summarized all of this in a letter to Steve Early that he sent six days before the election, and Hoover simply stated that, now I'm quoting him, that there's been a lot of loose conversation and talk, all predicated upon the supposition that the president was suffering from some heart ailment. And he mentioned that this was going around Mayo Clinic and it was going around the Bethesda Naval Hospital, but basically, you know, we've taken care of it. If there's anything more that we can do, let us know. And later on, one of the uh, FBI agents, several years later, said, well, there's no question the reason they were sent to Rochester was to sort of squelch this talk about the president having serious cardiovascular disease. And I might explain why does it matter. I think it matters because certainly people today know of the Mayo Clinic and, and understand its reputation. But in 1944, it really had a stature that eclipsed almost every other medical center in the nation. This was before NIH funding really propelled academic medical centers into really high orbits. And President Roosevelt had come to Rochester to celebrate uh, Will and Charlie Mayo's service to the country in 1934. The president's son, Jimmy Roosevelt, came to Mayo Clinic to have surgery in 1938. Roosevelt's closest confidant and advisor, Harry Hopkins, had had surgery at Mayo Clinic. And in fact, Steve Early, when all this was going on, his sister was in Rochester having surgery. So I think my main argument is that the reason that there was such an extreme response to, the, to this sort of loose talk, as Hoover described it, was that if this had leaked to the press, it really could have shifted the election. And I can go into that, but I'll stop and let you, <laughs> let you digest and ask some questions based on what I've said. So you're listening to ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. John Russell. I'm joined by author Dr. W. Bruce Fai, author of Caring for the Heart, and we're talking about the heart disease of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So what kind of signs and symptoms was did Roosevelt have that kind of people said, huh, I think he's sick? And, you know, what fueled some of that speculation? 
Well, interestingly enough, in terms of the signs and symptoms, they really were completely kept from the press and from the public. It was Roosevelt's daughter, Anna Roosevelt, who was living in the White House. She was married at the time, but her husband was in the service. She became alarmed in February of 1944, several months before the election, that her father was not recovering from what he and his doctors described as the flu that he had sort of gotten when he was at the Tehran conference with Churchill and Stalin at the end of 1943. So she insisted that the White House physician, whose name was Ross McIntyre and who was an ear, nose, and throat specialist, she insisted that he call in other specialists to evaluate his father. So at the end of March, Howard Bruin, who was trained at Johns Hopkins and was chief of cardiology at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, examined Roosevelt at the hospital, and he found that he had evidence of an enlarged heart, a murmur of mitral regurgitation, abnormal T waves on his electrocardiogram, and he concluded that he had hypertensive heart disease with heart failure. Well, this did not please the White House physician because Bruin said he needs two weeks of absolute bed rest, and of course this is in the midst of World War II, and he wanted them started on digitalis. Well, they called in Boston surgeon Frank Leahy and Atlanta internist James Pollan, both former AMA presidents, and finally they acquiesced. But just to put things in perspective, an average of nine blood pressure readings in April, shortly after Bruin first examined the president, an average of nine readings was 210 over 114. And Bruin did find evidence of heart failure on examination. They actually sent him for a month to Bernard Baruch's plantation in South Carolina for essentially a rest cure because there really were no effective drugs to treat heart failure or hypertension at this point. He was placed on phenobarbital and complained of being sleepy, and it's little wonder. The other interesting thing, Frank Leahy published a, or wrote a memo that was kept secret for many, many decades where he said in July, shortly after he examined the president, now I'm going to quote him, I'm recording these opinions in the light of having informed Admiral McIntyre that I did not believe that if Mr. Roosevelt were elected president again, he had the physical capacity to complete a term. I told him as a result of activities in his trip to Tehran, he had been in a state which, if not heart failure, at least was on the verge of it. And this was the result of high blood pressure he has now had for a long time, plus a question of coronary damage. With this in mind, it is my opinion that over the four years of another term with its burdens, he would again have heart failure and would be unable to complete it. Well, basically, time and time again, the, president, the White House physician lied about uh, Roosevelt's health. He denied that he had any problems. In fact, even after Roosevelt died, McIntyre, the White House physician, published a book where he claimed the president's blood pressure was not alarming at any time. What do you think if really this, if the press took hold of this, you know, two weeks before the election and said the president potentially has serious heart disease, do you think Roosevelt possibly or sit, you know, one of our most popular presidents, you know, after three terms during a war would have not been reelected? Well, I think that is the argument I make in the book. I obviously allow readers to draw their own conclusions, but I put together a pretty compelling case. He won the election by the narrowest margin of any of his four elections. He got 53.4% of the popular vote. And interestingly enough, if we reflect on the Gore-Bush events of 2000, two weeks after the election in 1944, Life magazine published the state tallies and claimed, now I'm quoting them, 
the time-honored statistical game of figure juggling shows that it would not have taken many votes in the right places to swing the election the other way. And then the writer of that Life magazine article said, a large electoral vote majority can hang on a small popular majority. So the other thing is, just three days before the election, America's best-known popular illustrator, Norman Rockwell, had a cover on the Saturday Evening Post, and he showed a little man standing in a voting booth holding a newspaper with the headline, Which One?, over the picture of Franklin Roosevelt and Thomas Dewey. So the election was really a lot closer than people think or recall, and even Roosevelt, in private conversations, these are documented in real-time diaries, not not recollections, but real-time diaries, said he was concerned that he wasn't going to win the election. So I think the, the cover-up really was in an attempt to be sure that the public, well, to reassure the public that the president's health was good and to completely suppress any information about his heart disease and his hypertension. And how old was Roosevelt when he died? He was 63 years old, and he died just 83 days after beginning his fourth term and five months after he won that close election. And he certainly looked a lot older than uh, 63 years old. And what did he end ultimately die from? Was it hypertension of heart disease? Well, he died, and this was, this was uh, he didn't have an autopsy, but the symptoms that he described and the signs that were described by Howard Bruin, the cardiologist who was with him when he died in Georgia, the little White House, the description was a massive cerebral hemorrhage. He said, I have a severe headache, and those were the last words he spoke. And do you think in today's day and age a president could have an illness like this and, and it not be part of the, the public record and the public discourse? Well, of course, as you know and your listeners know, there's been a great deal of discussion about this over the last, I'd say, sort of generation. There certainly are calls for presidential candidates to release their health records, and many of them do to varying degrees. I think the frank lies that were put out, the absolute effort to deceive, would be extremely difficult to to envision today because of there are just so many ways for information to, to leak or get out. What was the one fact that really surprised you the most in, in researching this information on Roosevelt? Well, I think the thing that surprised me the most was actually how close the election was and how concerned they were that uh, Roosevelt might not win. And then the lengths they went to to suppress this information that they thought could be a turning point. The Democrats used the phrase, you know, don't switch horses in midstream. But interestingly enough, they never expressed the concern that their horse might not make it across the stream. And what really what stood out in your book in reading this is just some some conversation in the doctor's dining room could lead someone from the FBI to show up to talk to me is really this kind of surreal type thing. So it's a wonderful book. The book is Caring for the Heart, Mayo Clinic and the Rise of Specialization. Dr. Bruce Five. Bruce, thank you so much for being on the show. Really enjoyed having you. Thanks so much, Dr. Russell.